Welcome to the Inner Network Podcast. I'm your host, Kyla Kaplan, and today I'm joined by Brooke Milo. Brooke is the founder of NGNG, a digital marketing agency based in New York. In today's episode, Brooke shares how she founded her company in her early 20s, how to avoid burnout by prioritizing self-care, and how to maintain an authentic brand. I'll be linking her social media in the show notes, but in the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so excited to, you know, just chat with you about all things, you know, um, your agency and the industry. But before we get started, I want to play a quick game of this or that. Ooh. All right. So the first is, would you rather meditate in the morning or write in a journal? Meditate. I meditate every morning. Oh, that's awesome. Do you normally use, like, I know there's like headspace and calm. Do you use something like that? Yep. I use calm. I do their daily meditation every morning it's only 10 minutes and it's just the best way to start my day I know I've been meaning to get into that so that's good and the next one is would you rather work out in the morning or at night uh, never <laughs> <laughs> I don't I remember have... the last time I worked out to be honest <laughs> my workout schedule is not non-existent at the moment because I, I was traveling for a bit but I usually work out at night yeah when I have to work out yeah. Well, I feel like too, you're going back and forth, Miami to New York. So that in itself is a workout. That's true. It feels like Just it. running around <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. And the next one is, would you rather read a new book or reread your favorite book? Definitely read a new book. What's your I, favorite I right now? <laughs> um, actually, right now I'm doing a little book club and we're reading The Artist's Way. Okay. Really good book. If you're a creative and if you're in the creative industry, it's an amazing, amazing book. Um, I do this thing where I get a bunch of different books that I'm interested in reading and I kind of read them all at the same time, which is probably really counterproductive, but I have like attention issues. So I just (laughs) need to like keep it fresh. So I definitely would go for a new book rather than grabbing one that I've already read. Yeah, no, fair enough. How, what's your system like? Do you normally do like in the morning, you'll read the first book afternoon and the night or what does it look like? Yeah, I usually will wake up, do my meditation, try to read a little bit, like 10, 20 pages. And then at night, if I'm not watching Netflix, I'll definitely grab a book to like wind down and get ready for bed. Well, I need to try that. I feel like I'm so bad at getting in the habit of reading. I'll put it on, like I'll try and put it on my pillow so that when I come in for the night, I know to read it, but uh, I've just been, yeah, I've been bad at it. Yeah. I've learned to like it at night because I realize it's one of those things that calms me down before I go to bed. So then mm-hmm. I kind of train my brain to to look at it as a tool that's beneficial for my life. So then it doesn't feel like, oh, you know, I have to read. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I feel like when I read, I get really sleepy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned Netflix at night and my next question is actually YouTube or reality TV, but I guess we can change it to Netflix or reality TV. Mm, Sometimes I watch reality TV on Netflix though, or maybe that's on Hulu. Definitely Netflix. I, um, I've been watching, I just started the Queen's Gambit. I heard it's so good. 
so good. Sometimes I'll watch reality TV on occasion if I've had like a very stressful day and I'm just like, I need to just burn some brain cells. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to think about anything serious right now. And then it's helpful at that time. But if not, then I usually like to watch something that's really beautifully filmed or really interesting. Yeah, I heard The Queen's Gambit is really good. I don't know actually what it's about, but all I know that it was filmed in Toronto. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, so I have to watch it and I have to see if I like recognize anything. Yeah, that's cool. It's yeah. it's literally about chess, which is crazy oh. because I don't know anything about chess, but me it's neither. The best show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll watch it and I'll let you know how I like it. Yeah. Okay, and then the last one is: Would you rather have a glass of wine or a cocktail? Oof. Well. And I feel like, do you have a cocktail right now? <laughs> guilty. Um, I'm literally, this is my go-to drink. I always drink an Aperol spritz, but I drink red wine too. I don't know. It's like picking a favorite child. Like I can't. Girls are good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you tried? Cause I know, um, you commented on the Kia post. Have you tried it? I haven't yet, but I really want to. It looks so it's, good. It's really good. I have it. I tried it on its own, but obviously it has to be mixed with things to be like a cocktail. So okay. I've yet to try it mixed um in cocktails but Mm. it's really good i highly recommend definitely awesome well thanks for answering those questions so much fun getting to know a little bit more about you before we get started on talking about your agency i'd love to get to know more about your career background and just your experience navigating the industry definitely well i'm brooke milo founder of ngng digital marketing agency my background um i grew up in the luxury fashion industry my entire life I was in it. My parents own a shoe store actually in Miami. And I basically lived at that store. So like every day after school, I would be there just surrounded by beautiful shoes. And I actually got started in the career. It was inevitable that I was going to work in fashion from, you know, my family. But I got started in my career because my my parents actually took me on a buying trip with them to New York. And they had a meeting with Stuart Weitzman and I begged them. I said, please let me go to the meeting with you. I want to meet him and I want to be in that meeting and I want to convince them to give me an internship there. (laughs) So they brought, they, they let me come to the meeting and I did meet him and he was like, he's, you know, a family friend. So it was very friendly and fun. And I ended up meeting with the HR person and she said that they had an internship opening and I was like, I'm in. So, yeah. So that definitely helped me get my foot in the door and kind of started my career in New York and in the fashion industry. How old were you at the time? I was, a junior in college so no sorry I was a sophomore I think I was um 21 or 20 no when I did my internship oh wow I just remember this I had a fake ID (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't even 21 I was I was 20 okay so did you always know that you wanted to move to New York was that kind of the end goal for you yes definitely I had this like grand vision of moving to New York and working in fashion so what was that like when you started your internship at Stuart Weitzman it was exciting it was really exciting it was my first experience being in New York so that in itself is super exciting Mm -hmm. Um, and it was my first experience you know having a real job where I was in a corporate office. I, you know, I had 
many, many jobs throughout my life in retail and in, in restaurants and things like that. But this was my first corporate kind of like having to go to meetings type of job. And I just really took it on as best as I could and worked super, super hard. And it was a really, really good experience. I ended up becoming really close with the vice president of retail marketing. And she's still a really, really strong connection that I have to this day. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that in itself just goes to show that relationships are so key. And I feel like every single person, you know, I've had a conversation with their job was from a relationship because they've met those people, they've nurtured them through, you know, however many years and really just kept in contact. What was your position at Stuart Weitzman specifically? Um, So when I was an intern, I was on their retail marketing team. And then when I started after college, maintaining those relationships, and I did accept a full-time position there, I was a retail marketing coordinator when I first started. And then I was also switched over to their global marketing team. So I kind of bounced around a couple of positions, but they were all in marketing. Mm -hmm. So you were pretty young to start in the industry. Did you ever have that imposter syndrome? Oh, for sure. Yes, I was really young. I also graduated college early. So I was even younger than, you know, most typical college graduates. I always felt in my gut that it was I was making the right decisions and I was in the right place because I was already over all the partying. Like I wanted to just work and I wanted to work really hard and I want I just loved what I did. But I definitely had imposter syndrome. I still do today sometimes. I think even the biggest leaders that I look up to, you know, talk about having imposter syndrome. So mm-hmm. it's something that I've accepted will always exist, but you know, you just have to learn to tune it out and tune into the other parts of you that are more confident and more um, sure of what you're doing. And then that's really all you can do. There's no, you know, I don't think anyone feels like I'm a hundred percent an expert at this and no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah. And I think too, like you got the job, you're there and you wouldn't have gotten it if they didn't think you're qualified and they didn't think you could do the job. So right. I feel like people forget that often. Yeah. And, you know, I did get my foot in the door with family connections, which was extremely lucky. But if I hadn't been working as hard as I did and really making myself a valuable part of the team, you know, they didn't need to offer me a full-time job. No one was holding a gun to their head. So that's what it comes down to, you know, making yourself an invaluable part of that team. Yeah, absolutely. So after you were on the global marketing team, what was your next role after that? My agency. (laughs) When did you know it was time to start your agency? Good question. I started to have honestly, a lot of negative feelings at work. I felt like the corporate structure was bogging me down a little bit. And that's not to say that my experience, you know, at Stuart Weitzman wasn't amazing because it was, and I learned a lot and I met a lot of really great people. But I think I got to the point where I kind of felt like I was seeking something a little bit more creative and something a little bit more outside of the norm without having this large team over me to direct every decision. I felt like I was ready for something a little bit bigger. And I think too, when it comes to corporate, I think that is the big thing is the creativity really gets sucked out of it, which and obviously unless you're in a creative role, it's there, but oftentimes it's really just executing and making sure things are getting done. So there's really no room for creativity. Yeah, and I I, I feel bad saying that almost because I think for a lot of new graduates and a lot of people, you know, having those corporate positions is, is good 
in those scenarios because you want to meet people, you want to grow. But I had been there for a couple of years and I just got to the point where I was like, okay, you know, I'm getting direction from a lot of people who are a lot older than me. And I also felt like in marketing, you know, the younger generations should be the voice, not the other way around. So there was a little bit of that going on. And I felt like I wasn't really agreeing with all the ideas and things like that. So I just felt like I was ready for for something new. Yeah, and that's totally fair. And that's great that you were able to recognize that and really just go and start your company. So what was your experience like when you were launching your company? And did you face like any setbacks? Yeah, it's funny because... In the beginning, I think I faced more setbacks than than wins. But just to give a little background on why I started the agency also. When I was working at Stuart Weitzman, we worked with a ton of agencies. And I felt like the agencies were either really, really big and took advantage of this ginormous budget that Stuart Weitzman had. Or they were really, really small and they only did one thing. They only did paid social or or influencer management. And everything was just kind of all over the place. There were so many different touch points. There were so many different points of contact. So that's why I left to start a new agency that could bring a new type of digital marketing experience and just be a little bit more humane about the entire process. I wanted to work with up and coming brands that, you know, new startups and things like that so that I could really help new businesses enjoy the benefits that digital marketing brings. So when I first started, um, like I said, I definitely faced a lot of setbacks. I don't even know where to begin on that. Maybe I should just share one story. Yeah, I'd <laughs> where, love that. Yeah, this is a good one. So I'm, you know, I have my agency, whatever. I do the paperwork. I'm like, wow, this is really easy. Anyone can start a business. You know, you just do some paperwork and you're good. I I had already had clients because I was freelancing also at the same time while I was working at Stuart Weitzman. I was running people's social media accounts for a bunch of businesses that I had connections with. And it was kind of just a natural transition, like, okay, I'm already freelancing. I'm going to turn this into an agency and just switch these clients over to the agency. So everything's going okay. And then all of a sudden I get a notice from the IRS of a bill for $25,000. And I was like, I don't even have (laughs) $25,000. I'm sorry, what? And um, yeah, I open it and they, I, I got this ginormous fine because I did one of the, the, something on the paperwork. I did it incorrectly, apparently. And it was this ginormous issue. And long story short, I got through it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hired the right legal people, the right accounting people to take over that side of things because I quickly realized, you know, you could just make one mistake and something like that can happen. But thankfully, they're pretty lenient with new businesses and they're pretty lenient with like things like that happening. So it all worked out and I definitely did not have to pay the (laughs) (laughs) $25,000. I was going to ask, that's crazy. Yeah. If you were high, if you had to pay that crazy, but I mean, things like that happen, you know, when you start a business and it's, it's complicated and it's messy and you just got to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to what you had said, because I found it really interesting when you said that agencies and, you know, I feel like I kind of relate because I do work in an agency where it's tough because if it is a larger agency and they're working with a brand, oftentimes the brand's not really educated on whether it's paid social when it comes to the metrics and KPIs, like they really just don't know 
-hmm. in a sense. And that's something that I've, you know, over the years have realized that education is such a big part of partnering with an agency because the agency really knows, you know, the background of how everything works and then translating that to educating the client is so huge. Is that something that you've focused on now that you have your own agency and making sure your clients are educated on all things, you know, social or when it comes to metrics and it comes to like best practices? Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, the education part is so huge because I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, you can have the best ideas in the world, but it's my job to tell you which of those ideas actually make sense and which can actually be done. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but which makes sense from like a data perspective and the trends and all the things that are going on in this industry, because a lot of times, you know, they don't know and they just, they, they see things or they hear things or they read things online and they think, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. But no, it's definitely our job to direct them and not the other way around. And that's something that I had to learn definitely throughout the years of having the agency. In the beginning, I would sometimes look to the clients and be like, well, you know, tell me what you want. And then I quickly realized like they don't know what they want and you have to, you have to be the ones to tell them and to guide them. So that was definitely a big learning curve for sure. It's just, it makes a better partnership too when Mm -hmm. both sides of the partnership know what's going on. So you mentioned also that you're freelancing prior to starting your agency. And, you know, a lot of those clients did transition over to your agency. What was it like when you were getting new clients that maybe weren't as familiar with you or your brand? Mm -hmm. I got really lucky, honestly, because I think whether I like to admit it or not, I'm a natural salesperson. And as soon as I started that agency, it was just like all I would talk about. I connected with a lot of my friends that I that own businesses, a lot of my friends' parents that owns businesses, like pretty much anyone that would listen to me talk about the agency, I would talk to them about <laughs> it. And I got my first big client outside of just immediate connections by talking to, I went to dinner with one of my best friend's dads in New York. And he's like this huge finance guy. He does private equity and all this stuff. And I really just wanted to pick his brain about starting a business and all that stuff. And it somehow turned into him like handing over all of his businesses to me from a marketing perspective that he was like, here you go. You want to do some marketing? Take all of these businesses I have and like, let's make a plan for this. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not ready for this at all. (laughs) But you know, there's some opportunities that you just can't say no to. So I think a big part of it is just you have to be your biggest advocate and you have to live it, breathe it, eat it, sleep it. It really has to be like your top, top, top priority. Yeah. And did you start the agency with just yourself or did you have someone else that, you know, was kind of like your right hand person when you first started? Yeah, no, I I start I was completely alone. Oh and gosh. that was really hard in the beginning. I think the first year of of starting, I would hire a couple people here and there, had some interns, had, you know, a couple specialists come in that would help me with specific projects, but it was really mostly everything was on me. And I quickly got super burnt out and realized I needed to start expanding and hiring more people. And thank God now we're at a place where, you know, we have more team members, but 
that that was a challenge in itself. Yeah. And I can imagine because agency hours are incredibly long and you have to be on all the time. So, you know, having just yourself, like how did you balance your company and just managing your self-care and how did you set those boundaries for yourself? I actually didn't even know what a boundary was when I first started. (laughs) I did not prioritize my self-care at all. There was a time, it's funny looking back on it now, but it wasn't funny in in the moment where I was like super burnt out. And I was, I mean, I was working every single day from 6 a.m. to 11 o'clock at night. I'd close my laptop on my bed and I'd wake up and I'd keep working, living off of coffee, you know, just the most unhealthy lifestyle. And I got one day, I just freaked out and I was like shaking. I was like, oh my God, something's wrong. So I I go to an acupuncturist (laughs) in Manhattan in the Upper West Side. And I was like, fix me. (laughs) And she was like, honey, what is wrong with you? She's like, a couple needles aren't going to fix you, sweetie. You need to like, she started asking me all these questions, like, how are you living your life? And what are you eating and all this stuff? And we both realized, obviously, that I was causing my own issues, which happens a lot. But work can be really addicting. And especially Mm -hmm. when it's your own business and you're so passionate about it, it's really, really hard to set that boundary. Now I've gotten to the point where I do therapy every single week. I do prioritize my mental health. I take the space that I need because I know that it's really the only way to be successful. Like if you don't give yourself that time, you're going to drive yourself into the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like too, with self-care and like boundaries, like what you were saying before like it's not sustainable but I also feel like when you get in the zone of like especially when you're doing like performance marketing and you really are you know generating the performance for the business like you almost get addicted to the numbers you know what I mean yeah Yeah, it's crazy exciting and it's it's good to feel that excitement and it's good to to have fun but and you know have fun with it and be happy with what you're doing but it's equally as important to take breaks Mm mm-hmm for sure. So what is a typical, what does a typical day look like for you now when it comes to like just your self-care and like avoiding burnout? So like I said before, I do meditate every day. I wake up in the morning, I meditate for 10 minutes. I don't look at my phone right away. You know, I try to make coffee and take some time to read for, you know, not too long, maybe 20 minutes. I'm also super impatient. So um, I'm definitely not one of those people that has like a 10 step morning routine or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But I just, you know, I try to warm up into the morning, get my coffee going, and then I just kind of jump right into things. And then at the end of the day, I I do try to make the boundary to, it's also hard because we're working from home. Mm -hmm. We're all home all the time. So it's even harder now to say, okay, I'm closing my laptop and I'm stepping away from the work and I'm going into relaxation mode. Sometimes when I try to do that, it's just like, I'm just like work, work, work is just in my brain still. And my therapist says, you know, when that happens, you have to actively push those thoughts away and you have to keep reminding yourself that you are taking this time to relax and you're taking this time to wind down. And that's it. Like you just have to literally train your brain. And it's so important. Mm -hmm. I feel like too, when it comes to relaxing, you feel almost kind of guilty that you're watching a movie or you're doing this. Like it feels so guilty. Yes, definitely. What advice do you have for people that are in the industry, like the agencies that are maybe working, you know, longer hours, but they're being required to do so? 
by their company? Like how, like what advice do you have to give when it comes to setting your boundaries with your manager? Mm, Run away. (laughs) (laughs) It's tricky. I feel like it's almost expected sometimes, you know? Yes, for sure. I think the expectations that people have these days are are not normal, but also it's kind of on you to prioritize finding a company and a work environment and a situation where you're not being pushed to that kind of crazy limit. Because I think there are a lot of new up and coming companies and agencies out there that that want to do things differently and want to be humane to people. Because I know for me, you know, the people that work for me, I don't, I don't care when they're getting their work done. Like you can do your work at 2am if you want, and then sleep the whole day the next day. I don't care. Like as long as you have a schedule that works for you and you're doing what needs to be done and we're in a good flow, then that's fine. Like I'm, I mean, I'm on the super flexible side of things, but I think that's so important because at the end of the day, we're humans and we're not machines. So those type of managers do exist. And if you're in a situation that's really bad, where, you know, you're really being pushed to the limit, just maybe consider switching it because some people just aren't aren't really reasonable. Yeah. And I think too, people work, like you mentioned, people work at their own pace and some people get things done better at night. So if you're not meeting your goals, then I feel like that's when you should be, you know, talked to by your manager, but otherwise it doesn't matter. Exactly. So I want to get into what you mentioned with, you know, starting your company, because you said that you did notice a trend where a lot of agencies either focused on one thing or they just weren't, you know, giving as much value to mm-hmm. clients. So how do you stand out as a company in the industry, especially since it's so competitive? I'll share my kind of aha moment with you when I was at when I was at Sir Whitesman and I was working with these agencies and I realized enough is enough. We had a billboard or something in Soho, I think, and it had to be resized. Like it had to be cropped a little bit. And we got a bill for $10,000 to crop this photo. And I literally was like, are you like, I, I could recrop this photo right now in two seconds, you was know, this like by the creative agency yeah. which charged you guys 10 grand. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And crazy stuff like that would happen all the time, you know, like agencies that are really big and global and are working with these big companies, they, they charge a lot of money. And I remember thinking like, okay, for, for a brand like Stuart Weitzman, that's a bigger company. That's, that can be okay. But for a brand that's just starting, you know, Mm -hmm. for, for the new entrepreneurs out there that are building things that are really awesome, how can they afford that? They can't. And digital marketing is so important and creative is so important to their businesses. So I felt like that's the problem that I wanted to solve. So with NGNG, I think, you know, the thing that we do that helps us stand out the most is that we're truly partners in each of our clients' endeavors. I treat their projects as if it were my own. I'm personally, as the owner, super involved in everything that happens. I oversee everything. I don't just pass it off to an account executive to just, you know, handle it. And I just take my mind off of it. And that's it. Like I really am in it with them. And I bring in the right creatives and the right team to, and the right brains that help balance out my brain and really produce quality work that 
is what they need for these up and coming businesses. So I think that's where we really stand out is that it's, it's not about the money. It's not about, you know, for me having the biggest agency in the world, it's really just about helping these brands grow and helping build their companies. That's, that's what truly we're passionate about. Yeah. And that's awesome to hear because you know, like you mentioned, that's, I feel like that's a gem in the industry. Like you don't really find that all the time. And that's so crazy that they build 10 grand because you could buy like a year's worth of Adobe Photoshop and <laughs> crop it yourself. <laughs> first. So many things. Yeah. But that's... I mean, stuff like that happens. These bigger agencies, they really take advantage sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they don't think they're taking advantage, but yeah. It's just it's a little ridiculous at the yeah. end of the day. What have you seen? Like, what's the biggest shift that you've seen in the industry since COVID? Because I feel like, and not even just COVID, I think a lot of things with like Black Lives Matter and, you know, the movement that's going on. How have you seen a shift with your business specifically? It's interesting because in a way, from a business perspective, people's true colors kind of come out. You know, we definitely work with some companies that are like really in it and they're like, let's talk about this. Let's let's help. And then we work with some other companies that are just a little bit more quiet about it, a little bit more reserved. And it's complicated because, I mean, Black Lives Matter is is a given that something that you want to support. But when it came to like political issues that were happening this year, it gets messy and it gets tricky. And sometimes it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I'm selling clothes or whatever, you know, how much and how involved am I getting in these issues? And I think a lot of brands feel like, oh, it's not my place to really say anything like, you know, because you are isolating some people and maybe those are people you don't want as your customers. Maybe they're people you do, but it just, it gets messy. And then it's like, I think What's been a big focus for us is if you are going to do something, if you are going to speak out on these issues, make sure that you take action too. Like I'm so unsupportive of any brand that just wants to, you know, when people were posting that black box or whatever, Mm -hmm. I was like, get out of it. If you post a black box, never speak to me again. Because because I'm like, what does that mean? Where have you been the whole time? This isn't like a new issue. And you never cared about this before. And all of a sudden you're going to post a black box and then just forget about it and like pretend like everything is fine again. And that's not cool to me. You know, like I think if you're a brand and you're speaking out on these issues, you need to also just take action. And also look within your own companies. If your own company isn't diverse and you don't have a diverse team within the organization, then you shouldn't be promoting any kind of diversity anywhere else. Like start with you. And that is an amazing way to enact positive change. And then you can promote it from there. But I'm not for brands promoting things just for the sake of being a part of the conversation and all of that. Like, I really think it comes down to the actions that that you take. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like we've seen brands that have been part of the conversation, but then are now so quiet. Yeah, yeah. Like, where did exactly. you go? Exactly. Where did you go? What are you doing? And And we've also seen brands that have spoken out And then people in their company are like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm people are like, oh, I am black and I didn't get that promotion or whatever. You know, people spoke out about all those different companies. And that's just horrible to see. That makes me like really not like that company. Yeah. And was that a conversation that you 
initiated with your clients or was that, did you find that you didn't really have to initiate those conversations? It just kind of, they came to you with it. It was from both sides. Like, I don't think I needed to tell anyone, oh, hey, this is going on. It was very obvious what was going on, especially because, you know, I'm usually in New York and that was a big part of like where the movement was happening. So it was very, it was very overtly obvious. It was just a matter of figuring out how to navigate it from a marketing perspective and what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. It's a very, it's a very delicate fine line. Definitely. And I think too, things are moving in the right direction. It's just a matter of who's in the company now that is leading that charge because it's so easy to get lost if you don't have the right people leading it. Yeah. I mean, for me and within my organization, I have a very diverse group of people that I call on for different projects and that work with me. So that to me is so much more important than me posting on Instagram. Oh, Hey, I have a super diverse team. You know, I don't care to do that. I'm not trying to show off to anyone. I think again, it just comes down to like the actual actions that these companies are taking. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into a little bit about just the digital marketing agency as a whole, because I feel like on the outside, it can, there's parts of it where I feel like it can look a little glamorous. You're working with these big name brands. Sometimes you get sent products if you're, you know, if you're really partnering with them in that way. But what would you say is the biggest misconception when it comes to working in the industry that, you know, maybe young professionals wanting to get into the industry might not know? Yeah, to your point, people do think it's glamorous. It's funny. Um, Mm -hmm. I think also for me, owning my own business, people a lot of times feel like, oh, you have your own schedule. You're your own boss. You can do whatever you want. Like if you want to just take a month off, just you can do it. Like it's not a big deal. But that's really not the case. I always say, you know, my clients are my, my bosses. Like I have a lot of bosses, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have more bosses than the average person because if they're not happy, then, you know, I'm not happy. So, um, I think people think that it's a little bit more flexible than it really is. And also because now that everything is remote, things were already pretty remote in the digital space to begin with. But now that things are even more remote, I think, again, people feel like, oh, you can, you know, take time off, you can make your own schedule, but But that's just really not the case because if you have that kind of attitude, you're not ever going to get anything done and you do need to be available and you do need to be working, if anything, more so than someone who just goes into an office and has a nine to five. So... I think that's probably the biggest misconception. I think too, it's funny because a lot of people, I think when work from home started, they were kind of like, oh, you know, if you're working in the digital marketing agency, you're so lucky because you get to work from home, you get to work from anywhere. And I would say like, yeah, you know, that's really great and all, but you don't see me at 9 p.m. like making optimizations to my campaigns (laughs) and like changing the budgets at midnight, you know? So it's so funny. Yes. And your work comes with you. Mm Mm-hmm. Wherever you go, your work comes with you. So I'm not complaining. I love what I do. I'm so grateful. But it is a very always on mentality that you have to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm I'm the same way. Like I'm so thankful and lucky that this is my job but I think people wanting to get in the industry like just be aware that it's a lot of it is a lot of work and it isn't always on business in terms of launching your company did you face any obstacles 
launching a company as a female founded agency? Mm, Great question. Yes, I definitely did. I don't even know if it's so much about being a woman, but I'm also young Mm -hmm. and I look younger than I am for some reason. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've gone to the airport before and they're like, where are your parents? And I'm like, are you serious? Oh, I'm <laughs> <literally> an adult. <laughs> that's yes, that's happened to me before. Um, so I've gone into many meetings where I'm the only woman in the room and I'm in a room full of men that are all over 60 in suits. And then, you know, here comes little me walking in and telling them what they need to do and how they need to spend their money. And yes, that's very intimidating and that's very challenging. And you definitely get a couple second glances, but I've learned to use it to my advantage because I'm a firm believer that no matter who the person is, no matter what their background is or, you know, how old they are, how young they are, there's something that you can find to relate with that person. So for me, that's that's a big part of these conversations that I have when I talk to people is just it's just a matter of getting that person to like you and to have a good, positive conversation. So even though it's a little intimidating to walk in those kinds of rooms where you're the only woman in the room and you're the youngest one there and you're the one that's supposed to be telling them what to do. I try to use it to kind of inspire me and think of it as a fun challenge rather than getting, you know, just scared about it. Mm-hmm. And I think you you mentioned that as well, like walking into rooms where it is very much like a male dominated space. What advice would you have for women that are like trying to find their voice within those situations and they're really getting overpowered and overshadowed by the voices of the men around them? I would say just stand your ground, like stand up for yourself, have as much authority as you can in your tone of voice you really have to be conscious of these things. And in a way, it kind of comes back to to what we were talking about with meditating, being conscious of your tone of voice, being conscious of your um, body movements and your posture and all of those things when you're speaking to someone is super important in these situations because you don't want to come off as someone that doesn't know what they're talking about. So sometimes you just have to hype yourself up. Like I do know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing and I'm walking in here and no one can tell me what I know. Like I know this and that's it. And the truth of the matter is a lot of these people who are like older, you know, people that don't know a lot about digital marketing, the truth is they don't know. So you you actually do know more than them. Um, you know, we come from a generation of, of people that grew up with social media and grew up with all this stuff. No one knows more about it than we do. Mm-hmm. So I think you just need to remind yourself that. And if you don't feel confident, just fake it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've been absolutely petrified mm-hmm. to walk into a room, to walk into a meeting, but you just fake it till you make it and people believe it. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually funny because so when I was working with these private equity teams that were all men, all, yeah. they brought in a competing digital marketing agency. Was it a was it sort of like a bake-off where you were competing for their business? Sort of. I mean, I had the business but I was still really small. And this was a big agency that they were kind of bringing in to just check everything. And that agency was also founded by a woman. And this woman there, I don't, I don't know that there's anyone on this planet that I dislike more (laughs) because of the situation that we were put in, Mm -hmm. but 
she was tough. Like she was really tough. And she walked in that room and she was like, this is what you need. This is what we're doing. And this is my plan. These are the stats. Like I've never seen anyone with such like intensity in what they were doing. And I learned a lot from that because Mm -hmm. honestly, I was more intimidated by her than I ever was of any of those men that I was working with. So it just goes to show that like male or female, you can be as strong and powerful as you allow yourself to be. Mm -hmm. I strive to have that aura. (laughs) Yeah. I think she was, she was a little too intense for me, honestly. Like I, I like to be a little bit more down to earth and more chill. But, you know, sometimes in business, you got to turn that side of you on. And and it definitely taught me a lot. Yeah, that's funny. I feel like too, with women like that, like you, yeah, like you definitely come across those women and they may be so tough in the situation, but I feel like they are tough because they probably had so many encounters with male dominated workspaces that they really had to just turn that on. Absolutely. They know it's the only option. Yeah. Which is sad. I feel like it should not be that way. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a really beautiful balance. Like as women, I think we bring something to the table. That's really, really special. You know, I mean, we're a lot better at multitasking. We're really in tune with our emotions. And that's not to say that guys aren't, but this is like from DNA in female brains from generations and generations and generations So I think tuning into that side, and then also I love to tune into my more masculine side and just finding the balance of both because we all have that within us. And I think it, they both complement each other in a really nice way. Mm -hmm. There's this quote that I saw and it was, it said, it's about being masculine and feminine at the same time. Yeah. And I just love that. Yes. So I want to get into negotiating salaries Because I feel like that's a conversation that people are a little afraid to talk about. I mean, especially women. So I want to get your two cents on when you think you deserve a raise and how do you go about that conversation? It's a toughie. It is. (laughs) I never was really in that position, to be honest, because I only worked for other people for a short amount of time, really, you know, it was just a couple of years, but I can speak from the opposite side of it. Mm -hmm. If someone were to come to me and wanted to make more money, I think it's just about being confident in the conversation. You know, you, you can come to anyone with anything, but show them instead of telling them, show them. If you think that you deserve a raise, why? You know, like really show them what you've done and how you've done it, like how you've improved something, you know, share specific stories, share specific data, like really come in ready with the facts. And it doesn't hurt to ask. The worst thing that can happen is that they say no. So you might as well ask. Mm -hmm. So when somebody comes to you in that particular situation, do you expect a specific number of like, hey, I feel like I deserve X amount more? Or do you just leave it up to the table? I feel like I'm not the right person for this question, (laughs) honestly, because I'm so generous. Like I'm generous in my personal life. I'm generous in work life. 
if someone comes to me and they want more money, I'm like, how much money you want? You know, like, let's go like honey. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but no, I think being realistic about it too. Like mm-hmm. if they come to me with a number that's, you know, a lot higher than what they're making now, I'll probably meet them somewhere in the middle just because it's a good business decision. Yeah. And I think too, if you're in that situation, like, you know, whether or not you are valued in the company, like, yeah, you know how you feel. For sure. If your manager values you and your manager like speaks highly of you, of course you'll know. Mm -hmm. And, and of course they'll want you to make more money too. Like, unless they're not a good person, then you probably don't want to work for them. But in my experience, the people that I've worked under really advocated for me. Like I didn't even feel like I needed to ask for a raise because I felt like they would get it for me Mm -hmm. because they felt like I deserved it, you know? And those are the kinds of people that you want to work for people that are on your side and that really advocate for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those people exist and you just have to find those types of companies. Yeah. So AKA work for Brooke. (laughs) 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 I'm applying tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So we touched a little bit about just the industry in general, but I feel like, and you know this too, like in the agency, it really is like a sink or swim and you're going to swim only if you're resourceful. So Mm -hmm. what advice would you have for people that are wanting to get in in the industry, but they just don't really have that experience? Like, what would you say are the skills that you look for in your like entry level positions? It's funny because there are still skills that honestly, I don't even have. And I just have an attitude that if I don't know something, I'm going to figure it out. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes to figure it out, to learn that skill or to call on the right person that knows the right answer that can jump in and take over or whatever needs to happen. So I think that's actually a really important skill to have is I love to hire people that have that kind of attitude. Like if I don't know it, I'll figure it out or I'll find someone who will because digital marketing is also changing. It's changing every day. There's new things to learn every single day. So it's really impossible to know everything. You have to constantly be educating yourself and constantly be reading and learning and growing. So I definitely look for someone like that in an entry-level role that is just a go-getter and ready to take it on and not afraid. For someone that's a little higher up and has a more specialized position, then it's definitely more important for me to hire someone that does really know what they're doing and is an expert in that specific thing. So it really just kind of depends on the position. Like I'm not going to hire a videographer that's like, oh, I'll figure out how to use the camera, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like that type of position, you need someone that's an expert, but if it's an entry-level position in digital marketing, then I think just having that really good attitude that, you know, you can figure it out is super. That's usually what I look for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's definitely key. But when you go into the hiring process and you are interviewing these people, what makes them stand out to you? Like whether it's tangible and it's a portfolio or maybe it's like a really good LinkedIn, like what do you look for? Mm -hmm. So actually, I don't even know if you know this, but our agency is also really different because we have a creative collective. So I just launched that this year. 
once COVID happened and I realized that there were all these creatives out there, freelancers mostly that were losing their jobs mm-hmm. um, and didn't have work. So I created this freelancer creative collective that's part of NGNG. But basically these are the people that I utilize for different projects and different jobs throughout the agency. So the process is basically, the application is, is always open. It's like a rolling application process on our website and the creatives apply they upload their portfolios their resumes and all that good stuff and then they go through um, an interview process with me and then they either get accepted or they they don't and what I look for is portfolio is definitely super important like I love to view people's past work it's important for me when viewing a creative portfolio that I understand the person's aesthetic I don't really love when I see a portfolio that's just all of these different types of um, visuals that don't really have one cohesive point of view, because then that just shows me that you haven't really developed your style yet. You're just kind of producing different things to see what works, which is fine. But with something like this, with an agency, you know, I really need to hire the right creatives that match up with what the client needs. So it's super important for me to understand exactly what their visuals are. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the portfolio is super important. I think especially with the creative roles. And I think too, people have looked at having a portfolio in the digital marketing agency, but I feel like it's hard because one, either you can't speak about your client and you can't speak about the numbers or two, you just don't really have anything as tangible unless it's like a campaign that you launched. Yes. Yeah. When it comes to data and like paid media and that side of things, it's definitely a lot more challenging to have a portfolio. But if you can do it, you should because nothing is better than seeing some someone's work come to life and mm-hmm. seeing it in action and seeing the result. So even if you can't share a specific client that you worked on, maybe you can share the results that you had and just not say who it was for. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that that's an option that I've seen people do. Yeah. I kind of want to end things off with two things. So I love asking everybody about their pinch me moment. So I'd love to know yours if you have one. Yes, I do. Um, so <laughs> my pinch me moment, I feel like, I mean, every day is a little bit of a pinch me moment because I love what I do, but we had uh, one campaign that we did that was just like totally out of the blue on the fly um, at the beginning of this year for one of our clients. And it was a post on Instagram that ended up going viral. And it was for a charitable cause. It was actually in support of the Australian wildfires that were happening mm-hmm. at the beginning of this year, back when I thought that that was the worst thing that was going to happen in 2020. <laughs> Good times. But I basically convinced the CEO to do this initiative on social where we did um, a po- every share of our posts, like we were going to donate a dollar to the initiatives. And it ended up reaching over 3 million people and went oh viral within a few days. And it was just amazing because not only was it for a good cause and it made me feel really, really good that so many people cared about helping and we were all kind of coming together to raise money. It was just, it was just insane to, to watch the numbers coming through and, and the shares and everything like that. And it was, it was just amazing. 
Yeah, that's so awesome. Congratulations on you guys for that. Yeah. So the last thing I want to ask you is the best piece of advice that you've been given in your career, or perhaps it's like the best piece of advice that you have to give. I think the best piece of advice that I've been given is that I can't manage my agency and also do all the work. So I definitely got to a turning point where I needed to start delegating tasks and and things like that. Um, and that ultimately allowed for us to take on more clients and produce better quality work too. That was really important. But I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give someone and something that's helped me a lot along the way is to just forget about perfectionism. Just leave it at the door. Because when I think about the things that I did when I first started, like sometimes I look back to our first proposals that we would show people and I'm like, oh my God, pricing, terrible, presentation, horrific, structure, disgusting, like all horrible. (laughs) My first website, like one of my best friends put it together for us for, I think I paid her like a couple hundred dollars. And obviously we've upgraded all of those things from there. But if I had been obsessed with perfecting all those things, I probably would have never even started. Mm -hmm. So the only difference between the person that's doing it and the person that isn't doing it yet is that the person that's doing it is not obsessing over everything being perfect all the time because you're going to make mistakes. And that's the beauty of it. You know, things just get better and better and better every day and you keep improving and you keep growing and learning. That is the fun part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true because you do evolve not just as a person, but also, you know, in your professional career and nothing's going to be perfect. Like even if you're working with a team, like no, not everyone's going to have your same vision or your same aesthetic. So yeah, it's just continue. And I think that's such an awesome piece of advice. So I just wanted to, yeah, (laughs) I actually wanted to ask, how did you come up with that name? What's the, like the backstory of that name? You know what? There really isn't a story. I just, I no guts, no glory is my life motto. I live it, breathe it every single day. I'm a really strong believer that, you know, you feel the fear and you do it anyway. And I always knew that when I had my own company, I was going to name it No Guts, No Glory. And then it just ended up that I started a digital marketing agency. And I was like, all right, I already have the name. I knew this was going to be the name of something. (laughs) And here it is. (laughs) And that's so awesome. And I think too, with just speaking with you today, like I can see how like your confidence just like echoes whenever it's in what you say or how you act. Like I can tell you just are such a confident person and no guts, no glory suits you. So (laughs) I love it. So I just wanted to say thank you so much again for being on the podcast and taking the time to just share your experience and share your background story. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Inner Network Podcast. Brooke shared some great advice, so I hope you were able to take something away from our conversation. I'll be linking her social media in the show notes, so be sure to check out NGNG Agency.